Welcome to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Could you do a killer elevator pitch? That was something I got called about just the other day by a woman named Pascal Hansen who runs a network called the How To Network. And she actually invited me to judge a competition that they're holding, the elevator pitch competition. Well, one thing led to another, and we had a conversation that Pascal recorded on how to craft a killer pitch. So I've got that recording, and I wanted to share it with you here. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. One thing I have to ask you about is your logo. So um, can you tell us the story behind it? Trash can head. Trash can head. Um, I wrote a book uh, before I moved to Victoria. I live in Victoria, BC, Canada now. And um, uh, before I moved here, we lived in Bali for six months. And uh, I wrote a book there called Stop Busting Your... uh, No, um, Didn't See It Coming. Sorry, I've written a few books now. Uh, Didn't See It Coming was my first book and you can find it on Amazon and uh, check it out. And uh, I went to my old friends at Rethink Advertising. All of us had worked together at Palmer Jarvis. And I went to them and I said, you know, I want you to create a book cover for me. And this book cover has to uh, deal with the idea of uh, throwing away all your preconceptions and everything that you accepted as normal before is no longer normal because that's what the book is about. And I said, the second, the second part of the brief is that if I'm at a conference, you have to be able to see my book from 50 feet away. It has to be dramatically more visible than anybody else's. And the third part of the brief is if the creative director, Ian Grace and Chris Staples, if they like it, then I will buy it. I don't have to have any opinion on it. I will buy it if your creative directors think that it's smoking hot. So they came up with an amazing concept. And this is, again, uh, part of my fundamental methodology when I help people craft presentations, pitches, and speeches. One of the best things that you can do is get an outsider's perspective. And I got an amazing young designer working on the project. And what he came up with was the standard icon of throw your trash in the trash can. You know, it's the, 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 the gentleman with the round head and the sort of line body. And then there's a sort of a symbol of a trash can and there's a piece of trash being thrown in and you see it everywhere there's a garbage can in a public place. So it's very, very status quo accepted icon. And what he did was remove the round head off the icon and have that icon throwing the head into the trash can. And it was a striking visual. Anybody who takes a look at the book, they can go to my website, markstoiber.com and they can see a visual of the book. Uh, It's just, it's dramatic and it's a, it's a, it's a showstopper. And I loved it and ran with it and really helped the book. Um, And then I looked at that and I go, you know, the thing that I do with people fundamentally is I help them abandon their status quo preconceptions of what they do and who they are and help them see things in a new way. And so I adopted Trash Can Head as my logo. And, you know, a lot of people go, why why are you using a guy throwing his head in the garbage? What does that mean? And so I go, well, it means that you're talking to me. (laughs) Right. It's uh, if nothing else, it stirs up a bit of a controversy and uh, makes people ask questions. And uh, I love it just because to me, it symbolizes everything that I want to do, which is help people abandon their preconceptions 
that keep getting them into the same trouble again and again and again. And that's what you want with a strong brand anyway. You want it yeah. to be recognizable and then you want to stand out. So Pascal, you, know, we- you got, you, you have, if I had a nickel for every time that somebody came to me and said, I got exactly the idea for my brand. And I said, have you asked anybody, right. you know, again, back to the outside objective perspective, have you asked anybody what they think? And I can't tell you how many times people say either no or yeah, I have my best friend, my wife, my cousin, my kid. <laughs> and those aren't the people writing checks. Exactly. They're, not, they're not supporting your business. So the whole idea of a strong brand, yes, you have to have a clear idea of what you want to be. But equally, if not more important, you have to have a very, very strong perspective from people who are pulling out their credit card and buying, their pro- buying your product, what they think you are. Right. And that goes back to the brand promise, which I know you've got some great information on your website. And I want to say I've worked for a lot of different big companies and I worked for American Express, the Blue Box. And that's the one company where I worked for where the brand was so important and you could speak to anyone at that company and they would understand what that meant. That's cool. That's super yeah, hard. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, and, and I'm not being paid by American Express to say this. I work for a lot of great companies. I'm not so great. But I will tell you, it's the one large global company I've worked for where they're just so good at hiring excellent people. I mean, I'm still friends with the people I work with today. And people would leave that company, go to other companies and come back. So is it a um, we call it blue box. So, uh, American express ex alumni Christmas party, you know, mm-hmm. speaking to all these people and some people to work there for nine years ago elsewhere and come back because there's such a sense of we're all on the same page. And mm-hmm. there was such a certain standard right down from what they would call executive presence. You know, you walk into the room, this is the way you look, this is the brand and this is who we are. And it was so ingrained in the culture and I haven't seen that anywhere else. But, you know, it carries through. And I think in this day and age, you know, when we're talking with solopreneurs, whoever you are, it's such a noisy marketplace with social media being what it is. It's even harder to stand out, which I would lead anyone to think you really need help with your brand. Like it's an investment in your today and your future. You're pitching for business, whether you're a startup, you're an older established company. It's critical. Well, to your point um, with American Express, uh, I would love to highlight a book that is the most awesome brand book that isn't a brand book. It's Jim Collins, Good to Great. And everybody knows this book. It's like Stephen Hawking's (laughs) A Brief History of Time. You know, it's the one book that everybody knows that nobody's read. And it is awesome. And one of the things that he says that goes right to the core of American Express, the people, Uh, it's not so much uh, important to create a culture in your company. It's to find the right people and people who are uh, very, very self-starting, who are motivated, who share your idea of what a successful company should be, even if they don't know what the company does um, and let them go. And uh, you know, this is, you get the wrong people off the bus as quickly as possible. You get the right people on the bus. And if they're self-disciplined and they have an idea of what your brand is, they'll make your company great. And I'm telling you, if you get the brand right, then that's sort of a beacon, a lighthouse, I call it, 
um, for people who are thinking like you and who want what you want and get them on the bus quickly. And then you have the American Express experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you talk about, um, you know, having a brand, it is a story, right? So I was reading some stuff on your website and it just sort of brought home to me that, cause I do a lot of presentations, I co-teach retirement seminars and I talk about risk. And so I talk about topics that are, it's exciting to me, but it's really honestly boring to most people. Mm -hmm. So when I teach, if I just told a story of this is what critical illness is and this is when you need it, you know, halfway through some people would fall asleep. They would, they would have so a critical illness. They would have a <laughs> right then and there. They have right a then and there. Yeah. So what I have to do to bring the key concepts across is tell a story. And with the evaluation forms we get when people come in and get their complimentary consultation after seminar, it's always, you know, they remember the story or they'll yeah. come in and they become a client and they won't say, you know, when you mentioned critical illness, you said there was a return of premium. What does that mean? No, no, no. It's always, oh, you told a story about, you know, Jim Smith. What happened to him? Is he okay today? Or you told a story about your mother and how is she? Mm -hmm. And they always remember the story. You know, it's um, uh, one of the things that, you know, brought us back together. I, I talked to you about uh, your ultimate presentation and folks, if they're on my website, should check out uh, the ultimate presentation workshop. It's under resources. And one of the things I teach there is uh, how to bring better storytelling into your presentation. And again, storytelling is one of those the most used, most abused terms out there because everybody talks it and they do a terrible job of it. But essentially, storytelling is everything because when we were still living in trees, you know, eating bananas, right. <laughs> we did not remember data. We needed to remember facts where the buffalo are, for example, or where the, cl where the closest river is, but we couldn't remember facts we had to tell each other stories. And so right from the earliest days, we became wired for stories. And everybody's heard of the lizard brain, um, the limbic brain. It's this tiny little walnut of a brain that guided us when we were still back living in the trees. And it only worked on a few different uh, levels. It said, I am going to kill that thing. I'm going to run away from that thing, or I am going to mate with that thing. And that's all it did. Now, the limbic brain, did not drop off like our old vestigial tail did. You know, when we used to have tails, that just kind of went away. But the limbic brain, the lizard brain didn't. Mm -hmm. The lizard brain is now the gatekeeper for all communication. And what that means, if you start rattling off an Excel, power, uh, an Excel spreadsheet in a PowerPoint presentation, just pure data, people are going to have that critical illness sitting there right in front of you. It's called death by PowerPoint because... The lizard is sitting there, and as soon as it sees a spreadsheet up on the screen, it goes, I'm done. And everybody who has given a presentation has experienced it when the people in the audience cross their arms and sit back. Those people are dead. They're gone. The limbic brain has shut down and said, we're going to watch a video of Star Wars instead. Because you're just, you're boring the limbic, and then you'll never get your information across because the limbic just says, no, thanks, we're closed. So, well, yeah, to that point, I mean, I, you know, I sit through a lot of, go to a lot of meetings and things like that. And I always sit there thinking, 
you've got too many words on your slide. And if you're just reading off the slide, reading isn't teaching. Like you're not adding value to it. And if you put up a lot of words, people are going to start reading it. You know, it's funny because that takes you right uh, as a brand person. I, I have dealt in the realm of psychology. That's all I do. It's psychology for the past 30 years. And what I've learned from studying presentations, because I've been writing presentations for people for a long time and doing workshops for a long time on presentation skills, is that this comes from two things. One, executives, after having given a few hundred presentations, start to think to themselves falsely, I got it. It's all good. I'll just grab a deck and present that. And that's kind of, uh, um, you know, sort of, they don't care. Uh, they're not going to lose their job. They're the big boss. People are forced to listen. It's a bit like a teacher at university where the students have mm -hmm. paid to listen. So you can be as terrible a teacher as you want. Students have to listen to you. So that's how some people treat this. But most of us come from a position of fear. I say to you, Pascal, you've got to present last quarter's numbers and it has to be done in a week and you go into a state of shock and you say, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I hate this. Like Jerry Seinfeld said, the only thing people fear more than death is uh, presentation. And so, you know, ironically, the guy in the casket is usually more comfortable than the person delivering the <laughs> eulogy. Um, so we are terrified of this. And what we do, we feel we have to make ourselves appear smart when we're presenting. And the logical place to go is data. Mm. Because if I throw up a bunch of data, people will assume I'm a genius. They don't assume that. They assume you're a moron. That's what they think. And they don't remember you or they hate you. Now, that's why you have to bring in story. And I, I would recommend another book really highly at this point. It's called Data Story data story and it's written by a lady named nancy duarte who's sort of one of the acknowledged experts in the area of presentation skills so if you have to present heavy lifting data and you want to look smart don't do it by throwing up a spreadsheet incorporate story into it and she gives a lot of very very cool tips and tricks that i also incorporate into my workshop uh, on how to do that and that way people will pay attention that's great. So I know sometimes in, you mentioned, you know, CEOs or in big corporations, sometimes, you know, it's marketing or it's someone else that's putting the deck together and then you might get it last minute, which means maybe you don't have enough time to prep. So do you think it's a good idea to do a lot of planning around? Oh, my God. Yeah, someone yeah. else, Or should you be writing it yourself and then giving it to marketing for them to just pretty it up? Or what Here's, oh, here, let me. First off, I've got a book. I've got a book called Your Ultimate Presentation. Not to be confused with your ultimate presentation workshop. The book came first. Okay. Um, and you can download it for free on my website, markstoiber.com. Just go to the resources, click on your ultimate presentation, download the book. One of the curses of presentations in the business world, here's how it goes. An executive says, I need to give a presentation to blah, blah, blah at this and that conference. Somebody write me a presentation. He gives it to the people at IR, investor relations, or the PR people inside the company, or even his admin. And they write a presentation, a long manuscript. Then that exec goes up and she presents that presentation as a manuscript and it sounds like somebody delivering, well, you know, an Excel spreadsheet. It's terrible. Yeah. On the other hand, somebody who is not an executive who has to write their own presentation 
writes out the entire presentation, sweating bullets, their, you know, their eyeballs peeling back because they're terrified. So they end up pushing it back until the last night. They end up in a, in a cold sweat writing this manuscript and they don't share it with anybody and they deliver it and they bomb and they hate it, which only reinforces that vicious cycle of I hate making presentations, I make a presentation, I bomb, I hate making presentations. So what I talk about, and this is one of the unique methodologies that I use, I talk about elevating the level of your presentation, making it sparkle with better storytelling, but also lowering, dramatically lowering the level of stress that goes into preparation. And what I do, I do two things. I do analog storyboarding. And that it expl it's explained in the book, Your Ultimate Presentation, on my website. Analog storyboarding. Folks, look into it. It is ridiculously simple and it is deadly effective. And the second part is turning speech writing into a team sport. So oh. I highly advocate that after you have your topic nailed, or even as you're nailing your topic, you bring in a trusted collaborator. And you might not come up with the right one the first time. A lot of folks just don't jive. They're oil and water. You know, you have somebody, mm -hmm. you're too rambunctious, they're too passive aggressive. You need a few tries. And this is something I learned in advertising. As a writer, I was teamed with art directors. One in five art directors I gelled with. And that's just the way it is because we're people. So find somebody to collaborate with. And I explain how you can effectively collaborate with them. And then once you have the presentation at a very rough form, and again, the book goes into this, what a rough form looks like. It's not what you think. It's not a manuscript. Once you've got it in a rough form, then take it through peer review. And peer review is a process we learned in advertising to vet ideas and cut the ego out of the process. Now, I'm not going to go into it because you should read about it in the book. But again, peer review, collaboration, and analog storyboarding are three things that will dramatically reduce the stress of creating a presentation and will raise up the quality of your presentation. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to have to download it and use it myself. I know that certainly for me, one thing I need to work on is, you know, giving the same topic and it's the same presentation all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know my content and I've always told other people, if you know your content, it's certainly more in a sales scenario. You got to know all the tools in your toolkit and then you go and you have a conversation, you want to engage your audience and then you know when to bring out the different tools. I know for me, because it's the same material over and over and over again, um, sometimes so I don't get bored, I will tell different stories and then I'm clicking through the slides and then I know it doesn't flow as well as it should because I also have to cover some of the mundane facts and the numbers and all that stuff. So any tips on me before I download? Oh man, <laughs> I, uh, I taught university. Yeah. Um, I taught marketing and sustainability marketing at university. And the first year I did it, I completely rewrote their courses and I stood up like any newbie, any rookie would, and I talked. And I talked for three hours straight, which is almost not human, because I was terrified that I wouldn't be seen as smart. And mm -hmm. so I stood up and I lectured like most professors do. The second year, I had a couple of people vet my course and uh, they were really good presenters. And what they told me, one, the worst thing I can do, what people hate the most, is if I talk. 
Something that's a little bit better is to have somebody else talk, another expert that I bring in. So I started bringing in experts, guest stars to star in the, you know, marketing 101 show. And the absolute best thing I could do is to shut up and let everybody else work. Mark. And that was like the lights going on for me. So what I did my third year when I was teaching, I stood up in front of the students and I said, here is the first concept. I explained it for 10 minutes, no more. And then I said, go work on it in a group, work on it with a collaborator, work on it by yourself, but work on it. And I want to hear some noise and I want to hear paper being crumpled and being thrown around the room. And that was the year where my reviews started to go up, where the students going, oh my God, I learned so much from Mark. He was incredible. And it was funny because the less I said, the smarter they thought I was. Now, for you, you stand up in front of the room. In the entire time that you talked about the presentations and having the content and knowing the content and adjusting the content, you never once talked about, and this is what everybody does, so don't feel bad. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> what everybody does is ignore who's sitting in the audience. And they go, oh, I know who's in the audience. They have gray hair, so they're retired. Who are they? And you, you can't always find out. They might just show up. But what you can do is five minutes before the talk, you can go out and say, hey, Mary, your name is Mary? Hmm, tell me about yourself. Oh, five kids, three grandkids, this, that, the next thing. You know, I'm sure you do it, but 99% of the people do not. Now, then when you get in the room, you can say, you know, I don't know all of you, but I got to know Mary just a little bit. And everybody starts looking around. They go, who the hell's Mary? And Mary's sort of sitting there going, oh my God, I can't believe it, I'm a star. And you start talking to Mary, say, Mary, tell me about what you need. Mary, tell me about what worries you. And Mary doesn't shut up because Mary has never been in the spotlight before. And then suddenly you can bring in other people. You go, what do you need? What do you think? What do you think of that? And then while they're talking, you can actually think back and go, Pascal, you know, I've got a product that kind of fits this. I was gonna show a slide with a spreadsheet or a pie chart, but instead I'm just gonna write a number down. You know, hey, you know, Mary and John, what you just said, 54% of the people, and write that on the board, feel exactly the same thing. We have a product that answers your needs. Now, is your need this? Aha, uh -huh. here's how the product answers that. Is your need that? Essentially what you're doing is letting them do your presentation for you and only swooping in with your solution at key moments when they go, wow, I didn't know the product answered my needs exactly. It's the core of a brand. One, what you provide is trust. Two, you listen to them to get their expectations. And that's what makes a magic brand. Well, I agree with you. And I know for our seminars, one reason I register everyone is I want to know why at the seminar I talk to them. So I do network a little bit. And before I start my segment, I actually start with questions and I have mm -hmm. hands going up and then I, it helps me gauge what the interest level is and who's a business owner, who isn't. Sometimes we don't have business owners in the crowd. So when I get to a certain section, I go, okay, well, this isn't as relevant. I'm not going to spend mm -hmm. time going into detail because they're not going to care. So See, I was having the back of my mind that they're going to be saying, um, you know, why should I care? What's in it for me? So I try to answer that with everything I do. So. You know, what's, what's interesting about that too, I'm going to tell, tell you there's a, there's a really neat dynamic that happens in a presentation that doesn't happen anywhere else. A presentation isn't about you reciting something. There's that. Okay, that's one element though. 
The other element is the audience and there's a vibe and electrical energy coming off of them. Positive, negative, undecided, hostile, you name it. The third is the room. You've got a room. It might be stuffy and overheated, no oxygen. It might be too big, so you feel lonesome. It might be too small, so you feel all jammed and cozy. But there is a dynamic that happens there. And what happens with an audience? They sit in the room and they're listening to you recite your stuff. And they're, on the one hand, if you're doing a good job, they're cheering for you. But make no mistake, the audience also wants to see if you're going to screw it up. They want to see if you're good enough to freestyle, to fly without a parachute or to, you know, to, to go on the trapeze without a net. They want to see if, if you're good enough. So that's always something, you know, the lizard brain gets real excited when there's somebody about to step on a rake and get a rake in the face, uh, you know, the old slapstick, the lizard brain loves that. So if the audience is sitting there and you're going, ha, huh, John, huh, Mary, thanks very much for those questions. Anyways, back to the presentation. You've seen it happen before. Oh, yeah, right? no, Where it's basically, I hear you, I don't acknowledge you. Yeah. Uh, I only did that because Dale Carnegie told me to. Um, if you do that, uh, they're going to feel like they're completely just being sidestepped, like you're, they're just sort of token people that they're being exploited by you. However, if you can in your presentation go, you know, Mary, John, you told me stuff. I had this whole presentation. Look, folks, here's 50 slides. See all this? I'm not going to use any of this stuff. You know what? I'm just going to talk to you and we're just going to have a conversation. Suddenly, their lizard brain goes into overdrive. It's like, holy smokes, Pascal is flying without a net here. I wonder if she's going to screw it up. I'm going to start paying attention. People love when you pay attention and they love when you take what appears to be a sidestep or a detour or a new route. They love that. So yeah, if you can say, I'm just chucking the whole slideshow because you know, you guys just want to talk. And so let's just talk. Right. People love that. So tell us where we can learn from you, your workshops, when, where, how. Okay. I have, uh, if you're in Victoria, there is a workshop happening January 27th, 28th. Don't know if the show is going to appear before then. It might appear after, so this might all be moot. Well, we'll, we'll try to get it in before then. <laughs> awesome. Well, yes. January 27th, 28th, if you go to markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.com, go to the resources, click on your ultimate presentation workshop. You can also Google it. It'll probably pop up. Uh, your ultimate presentation workshop and register. And it's two half days with personal coaching session before, personal coaching session after. And the results are, they're dramatic. I have a raft of testimonials. People go, I can't believe that I walked out with this presentation. The next one is happening February 24th and 25th. And that will probably be happening in Vancouver. So, uh, and then after that, I'm going to be setting out a schedule that I'll be putting up on the website of monthly workshops that are going to be happening in rotating cities. So the first two, Jan 27, 28, Victoria, BC. The next one, Feb 24, 25, probably in Vancouver. Uh, we haven't thrown open the res registration for that yet. So I'm just waiting for folks to start signing up. And I'm assuming on your, if anyone signs up for your newsletter, they'll get into their inbox information and all that stuff. 
Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing stuff for the Jan 27, 28th, actually probably today. I'm going to throw out the first newsletter. Sounds good. And, and also for anyone listening, please join us March 3rd. Uh, that's going to be our first live event and you will get the opportunity to learn from Mark. So thanks again for, for doing that. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the show about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you'd like to talk about brands, drop me a line. I'd love to hear your ideas. 